What's up? What's happening from Radio Row in Las Vegas? Uh, if you are watching us on YouTube, you see we got a guest already here. It's Robert Mays from The Athletic. And Robert, I have to say, whenever we play our little hour openers and there's a guest and I can see their reaction, uh, it's, it's either the favorite part of my day or the least favorite. That one's kind of goofy. But it, it is our show. Uh, so welcome, and, and thanks for being our first guest here on Radio Row. I'm happy to be here. I always am. It's always great to chat with you. Um, and unlike, you know, it's funny because this is, this is the land of skits and bits. It is sports radio, and especially no more than this year, <laughs> because it is sports radio meets Las Vegas. And what more skits and bits combination is there in sports media than if Radio Row at the Super Bowl was in Las Vegas, but I actually want to talk football with you. Like, is, is, uh, does that mean like we have to put up a wall? Like, is this an island, an oasis over here? It is a this week always. If you're in this business and you're in the content world, which we all are now, yeah, it's impossible to escape the. Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right stuff? What should I be doing? Should right. I be doing that? Right. And I always try to insulate myself as much as possible because. All we really want to do on our show, for the most part, is right. talk about football. Right. So I'm happy to do that at any stage. Yeah. Uh, of course, Robert is the host of the Athletic Football Show. Very, very good podcast. All things NFL. Uh, on, and is good at breakdowns uh, if you read his work at the Athletic as well. Um, let me. We'll talk about the Commanders in a second. What's your? Who's like the the best conversation you guys have had so far this week? Who's been your favorite or one that you're looking forward to? We've in the really podcast? been doing most of our shows so far. So Nate's going to be doing some film breakdowns with a bunch of players over like the next two days. Okay. I always feel like that's a really good way to get the most out of that 10 to 15 minutes that guys are going to give you yeah, just because sure. they're instantly explaining something to you. You can learn a little bit, kind of turns them on right away. So we're going to be getting some really good guys just to be breaking down kind of one or two plays from their season on our YouTube channel over the next two or three days. Nice. So definitely check that out. Um, Nate, uh, if you don't know, Robert's co-host, Nate Tice, uh, who has a great uh, view of the quarterback position especially because that is his uh, former gig. All right. So – this is the question I'm probably going to ask the most this week, but what do you make of the Dan Quinn hire? And, and then we can branch off into Cliff and into Peters, how it all works, the setup. But Quinn to Washington, how do you grade that hire? If they weren't going to get the two guys that they seemingly wanted before Dan Quinn, I understand landing on Dan Quinn, right? This is a safe choice. This is a reliable choice. It's a guy who has done this before. I think the floor with a Dan Quinn hire is fairly high. And if you're going to miss out on the potential high upside swings of a Ben Johnson, of a Mike McDonald, these unknowns but younger guys who theoretically have a really big upside, then landing on Dan Quinn is a, okay, we have an adult in the room. This is a solid place to start. I understand how they got there. Um, I should also mention before my boss murders me that uh, Dan Quinn is actually joining us in 40 minutes. So uh, Dan Quinn is calling into the show. He's not here in Las Vegas, but Dan Quinn is on the show today at 445. So make sure that you are tuned in. Tell your friends. Get the free Odyssey app. Hey, download that so they can listen. Stream us on YouTube. Listen to us as they drive around. Take an extra lap around the Beltway. Whatever you got to do. Dan Quinn at 445. Um, I agree with you on that, but I do wonder about Quinn's ceiling because we talk about so much of the floor with the, these veteran coaches, but we've seen the retread, if you will, guys in their second stint that it can go as high as you can go for. Like Pete Carroll in his second stint won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Dan Quinn was there for it. Um, Belichick was not uh, the first, you know, that wasn't his first go around in New England and it's the best coaching run that anyone's ever had. So the idea that it is, you know, just because we don't know means there's a higher ceiling is, is I don't necessarily think it's wrong, but I do think it is something that sometimes we ignore. What what does Dan have to do differently this time around in your mind to make sure that he can have a Carroll-esque run where the 
the ceiling is higher than anyone thought. Well, if you look at a Pete Carroll and the reason that I think that worked out so well the second time around, you have an influx of generation-changing talent. Yes. Like if you look at those drafts, that 2010, 2011, 2012 stretch that Seattle had, they had better players than everybody else, and that's a really good place to start. And also, there was a schematic advantage created by the introduction of that kind of Hawk cover three defense that took over the league for 10 years. So it was a very different Pete Carroll because of the players that he was trotting out and because of the newer sort of stuff that they had from a schematic X's and O's point of view. I think Dan Quinn's not going to kind of jump us with anything schematically here. We yeah. watched him be a defensive coordinator again in Dallas for the last couple of years. I think we kind of understand what Dan Quinn is. So I think the reasons that this could be better the second time around are a little bit more flexibility within that defensive system. You know, when they were in Atlanta, it was still a lot of that tried and true Seattle principles where it was a lot of single high defense, a lot of man, a lot of cover three, and it was inflexible at times. In Dallas, they introduced some a few more counter punches, a few newer kind of elements of what they wanted to be, and I think they had more answers than they would have when Dan was in Atlanta. At the end still, though, we saw it get a little bit stagnant, a little bit predictable. So I right. think that's going to be a huge consideration is how do they stay one step ahead with objectively worse players in sure. Washington than they had in Dallas. And on the other side of it, one of the reasons Dan had success in Atlanta, he got the play call right. And that is right. going to be the question for any defensive-minded or CEO-type head coach. Did you get the guy that's calling plays for your offense that can be a true difference maker at that spot? Okay, so we just opened up a couple of cans. And I, I swear to God, because I said I'm not going to do bits. This is not a bit. I just got a text from Commander's PR. It looks like Quinn's going to be 515. He was floating between the two times. 445 is what we thought. Looks like Dan Quinn at 515 today. So all those friends you just told, tell them 30 <laughs> minutes later, Dan Quinn at 515. So I had one of the – I don't know that K.J. Wright was a generational guy, but he was pro bowl, pro bowler. Um, Hugely important of, to what that defense was. Totally. Had him on the show when they hired DQ, and he said he would have told DQ, I want you to be the play caller because he had such a good feel for that. There's going to be a lot of talk about Cliff, and I want to talk to you about Cliff in a second. But when we talk about that schematic advantage, one, one area where I feel like a lot of head coaches – like handicap themselves is you get the job because you're a great coordinator. Dan Quinn is one of the great defensive coordinators in the last 25 years in the NFL. I would hope that he is heavily involved on the defensive side of the ball, even if he's got head coach stuff to do. So I, I guess that that is like a sentiment. I, I guess I'd, I'd like your reaction to that sentiment, and then I can go. I understand a that. I, I think that that's that's why a lot of these guys did get the job. I also feel like it's important as a head coach to make sure that you're present in all areas. You're setting yeah. what the building feels like, and I think that the best thing that Dan can bring as a head coach, period, is energy. Yeah. It is a feeling of how it. What is it like going to work? Are you excited to be there? I've started to really buy into that. When you talk to players around the league, yeah. when you talk to assistant coaches around the league, that being the vibe in the building, that being just the overall feeling that your staff has, the roster has, that's important. That matters. And I do think that is where Dan Quinn shines, even compared to other people calling defensive plays. For sure. All right, Robert Mays from The Athletic is with us. So on the defensive side, I definitely agree with you that in Atlanta it got stale at the end. And I think Dan knew it. Talking to Logan Paulson, my co-host on my podcast, who was there for part of that run, he could he, he, the word that Logan used was like he was itching. Like he mm -hmm. knew something had to change and he couldn't quite figure out fast enough to make it actually happen. As someone who studies the schematics of this as much as anybody in our business, like where do you think that next step is where offenses are starting to evolve, the run game is starting to come back in vogue a little bit? What's the next step for defenses from hot cover three to kind of these Fangio different things, some of the zone match principles that have, have become in vogue that make 
reading coverage damn near impossible. What's the next defensive adjustment to this stuff, and how do you think a guy like Quinn and some of the principles that he instills matches up with where the game is going? I think it's a few different things. I would say flexibility in all areas. So if you look at, in my opinion, the best defenses in the NFL this year, let's talk about Baltimore and maybe Kansas City. The Ravens or the Chiefs could be a different front play-to-play, game-to-game. Sometimes it's a four-man front. Sometimes it's a five-down front. You have no idea what you're going to get depending on the situation because their personnel can do both. I think that's hugely important in the front end. On the back end, you have these defenses that are the best defenses in the league. It's Rolodex coverages. You have no idea what you're going to get. I was looking at the numbers today. The Chiefs played the least amount of cover three in the NFL this year by a lot. And you really don't have any idea what they're going to trot out there depending on down-distance situation. I think that unpredictability is very important. I think the last part of it is how are you going to bring pressure without putting yourself in a bad spot? So a lot of these simulated pressures that these defenses are using where they're going to bring four, you have no idea which four it's going to be. So you can be sound on the back end while unpredictable with the amount of guys you're bringing at the quarterback. So I think it's just about making sure that you have soundness, but a defense, an offense can't get a beat on exactly what they're going to be getting down in and down out. And when you look at Atlanta, or excuse me, when you look at Dallas, that's not what they were. You know, they really leaned on the level of talent that they had on that defense, and they leaned on the pass rush getting home and those corners really being able to play top down, really sit on some stuff. They played a ton of man coverage. They played nickel to pretty much everything. So I w- I'm curious to see if with a step back in the talent level he has on defense in Washington, do we see a little bit more creativity, a little bit more diversity of ideas coming from him and that staff? I also wonder, with, and I know that no, especially on the defensive side of the ball, there's no personnel that's guaranteed to be there long term. Um, so they could completely rehaul this roster in two years, if not mostly rehaul it this year. But to start, he's got Allen and Payne up the middle, and he's got Jamin. That is so much a thicker spine than he had in Dallas. So I'm very curious to see what he and Joe Witt, and we'll see who else comes uh, to, to, to fill out that staff. I'm curious to see how he applies some of the principles to that personnel because I think there's a lot of potential there. Like the, if there's looking for speed and explosiveness, like for position, Jerron Payne's speed and power for position is, is elite. Jamin's speed and power is elite. His play recognition and some other stuff is, you know, the area to be desired. But I, I like I'm, that's not me saying like oh this is gonna work I'm 100 percent confident like I have no idea but I'm really excited to see what he does. I really appreciated how much Dan I mean Dan got fired really early during his last year in Atlanta. I yes. think it was like five weeks was, into the it was, season. Yeah, five. So he had a ton of time to kind of sit back and say okay, what do I want to be? You know where were the holes? Where were some of the weaknesses? How could we maybe take this? to the next stage of what type of defense we have to play to kind of keep pace. And I wonder what sort of introspective kind of look-in-the-mirror conversations happen this offseason now that he's coming into another reset point, if that makes sense. Totally, totally. Robert Mace, uh, the Athletic Football Show, with us here on the Hoffman Show. We're live on Radio Row in Las Vegas. Again, one hour from now, Dan Quinn will join us live. Um, Cliff Kingsbury. What do you make of that hire and the what it seems to be the NFL's infatuation with him, even though like the results have been very mixed, not only in Arizona, but at Texas Tech, where people kind of love to throw out the he had Mahomes, but he failed anyway line. I it's always funny to me which offensive coordinators are the hot names in these cycles. And I think that sometimes it's as simple as, well, he was a head coach. He was a head coach. and Now we can be our offensive coordinator. Isn't that great? 
And sometimes it feels like that's as simple as the conversation is. And that's kind of feel it, it kind of feels like what's happening with Cliff Kingsbury right now, where you look at the pool of coordinators that had gotten a little bit shallow deeper into the process. Who's left around? Oh, a guy who was a head coach for multiple years in the NFL. Let's go do that. So I don't know if it's any more complicated than that being the process with landing at a guy like Cliff. Um, I saw you check your watch, and I hate to do this on the air. Are, Are you, you okay on time? Okay, You're fine. Yeah. Uh, I just. The, the nature of Radio Row is it's a zoo and everyone's got somewhere to be. And uh, so I just want to make sure that I'm not you messing are, you I'm, up. My time is yours, my friend. All right. Well, uh, Dan Quinn's not on until 5.15 now. So saddle up, my friend. Uh, we're, you're, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, so I think with Quinn, it's inter- or with Cliff, it's interesting to hear what Quinn said on Monday in the press conference, which is basically that guy gave me fits. I hated playing him. And that, so he's been on my radar. Uh, what is it about that offense that when it was working for Arizona – worked and then why did defenses figure it out seemingly every year and shut it down in the back half of the because year? it's different it's it's very weird it's unique in the nfl space when you have all of the lighter personnel that they were trotting out all of the spread formations that they were using i mean it's a it's a spread offense in the nfl and i think that was the biggest difference is that like any team that's very that's a set that's separate from the pack when you have to prepare for them you don't have a lot of other things to go on this is a unique challenge compared right. to the teams that you're playing a week in and week out but i think that ultimately when you get deeper into the season and more teams have tape on it and understand what the tendencies are understand what the weaknesses are that's why i think you've seen in the back half of the season them kind of take a slide because the novelty of it all starts to wear off and defenses end up catching up yeah, I know the tempo is a big thing too. It's mm-hmm. like it's like okay, well, this is novel. What coverage do you have to play? And it takes a you know you don't figure it out. Well, someone figures it out, and then all of a sudden you know what coverage to play. The tempo doesn't matter, and you're just left with a simple offense, um, which has its pluses and minuses as well. Simplicity can be can be good or or be bad. Um, and it, when you see them hire Cliff, obviously there's a direct line to Caleb Williams, but there's also a direct line in the air raid to Drake May. I think a lot of people in Washington the first month when there wasn't a coach were like, Jaden Daniels is the guy. Where are you at on the quarterbacks, and how does it specifically change for Washington with Cliff? I have not studied them in the same way that other people have, just because that's something I typically do after the season ends where I'll start digging into the prospects. I don't know how much signal it sends about who they should get and why, because you still need a dance partner in all this. The Bears need to be willing to move off of Caleb Williams. By the way, everyone should know Robert's a Chicago guy. Yes. so Very plugged I, in there. I think that's that's part of the conversation is that even if they want Caleb Williams, that the Bears may want him as well. And there be there may not be a price that Washington's willing to pay that the Bears would say, all right, that's enough for us to take a step down from Caleb Williams to Drake May if that's how they have them ranked. So I don't know how much it actually tells us about what the draft is going to look like. So here's when I actually had a, a buddy of mine who works for ESPN 1000 in Chicago text me about this earlier today. I've done a bunch of interviews like the, where I'm in your seat instead of mine, <laughs> and people ask me the same thing. What about Washington and Caleb? And my response has been this, and I'm curious to run this theory by you as a Chicago guy. There is no way Caleb Williams shouldn't go one, whether the Bears are picking him or not. Like, there is just no – if Ryan Poles is – anywhere decent as a general manager there is no way a guy with that much hype and that much seen as a generational talent should be anything but the first pick and the bears have to leverage that and if i'm the commanders knowing that that price is going to be too steep for me like take jimmy johnson's draft chart throw it up and go out the window if it's a generational prospect i don't care if you're moving up one spot you're not giving me 400 points worth of draft stock like is that is that sound to you yes i i think that if you believe that caleb williams is a better prospect the price that you would have to get to move down from one to two should be astronomical. And it depends on who's willing to pay that. If Washington's willing to give up, let's say you have them as, 
whatever the I don't know what the numbers are for a lot of these scouts, but let's say you have Caleb Williams as an A plus and Drake May as an A, and you think that the downgrade there is worth a future first round pick and change. That's fine. I can understand that thought process. That thought that thought process, but you have to get a pretty big return in order to take that step down. And I think that's where the Bears have to be and what they have to be thinking. Um, I also get this question a lot from fans. I know my answer. I'm curious to yours. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lead you in any direction. If you're Washington, would you want Fields? No, especially because I have options. Right, I mean, I think it, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, it's the same conversation as the Bears have now. I, I think that Justin Fields is going to be an answer for a team without a path to a younger, cheaper quarterback. It's the same as it would have been the, the Bears' answer if they didn't have the number one overall pick. Right. If you're backed into a corner and Justin Fields is your best option, you can win with him. You can build a good offense around him. He's a capable NFL quarterback. But if you have an avenue to a higher upside and cheaper option, I absolutely think you should take door number two. Yeah. Uh, to me, Fields, obviously Pittsburgh now with Arthur Smith would make a lot of sense. Atlanta's always been the kind of spot for him. Is there anywhere else where you're like? The Raiders, but now with Luke Getzey, I think that becomes a question. Does he want to work with him again? I, I would, would not be surprised if them hiring Getzey put them out of the Fields conversation. So Pittsburgh... Uh, Atlanta, I think, are the two that I would mention first. And we'll see what New England wants to do. Yeah. Does New England... They're the wild card in this to me. They, they, because there's so many different layers to it. You have a first year of a front office. Do they want to attach themselves to a quarterback? Do they think that Jaden Daniels is just a better answer than Marvin Harrison Jr. would be at that spot? Or what, what's a better comparison? You take use three to take Jalen Daniels. You use your second-round pick on a wide receiver. Or you take Marvin Harrison at three and you use a second-round pick to trade for Justin Fields. Which of those is better? I have no idea. But yeah. the New, New England specifically I would say Harrison spot. Fields. Um, but also, my dream scenario for the Commanders is that New England falls in love with May. The Commanders convince everybody that they're in love with May or that they find another team that's also in love with May. They swindle New England for the pick swap, uh, make them go up. They wind up with Daniels at three and some extra draft capital. So that's, that's, that's my thing that I'm putting out in the universe. I have not studied the quarterbacks enough to have a firm opinion, but the people that I trust, yeah. the people who well, have I know watched Nate's these a big, guys, a big Nate loves Drake, Drake May yeah. and Dean Brugler, who does the most extensive work of anyone I know on these guys, really likes Drake May. And so if you're in a position to just take the guy and just kick off the next phase of your franchise just yeah. do it well just 100 percent. well it. i i'm i like daniels what i've watched better than me gotcha. so okay and that's the thing is like this this is this goes true for this whole conversation we're having on all of these guys all these different scouts all these different gms have different evaluations how mm-hmm. different they are could make a deal that works for both sides or blows up in both sides face like that is the nature of the silly season all right last but not least uh with robert mays here from the athletic football show the whole reason we're here there's two teams that are apparently going to play for a championship on Sunday. i heard yeah um early lean on the game one way or the other is there a thing that you're like i feel good about picking the side i'm picking because x it's so funny because i love the niners all year I just thought they were so good. I love the offense. There were so many weeks this season where they just felt like an overwhelming juggernaut. The Niners, or the Cowboys game, the Eagles game. But as I've sat back and really thought about all the layers of the game, I just think it's a terrible matchup for them. Yeah. Some of the issues that they've had against the defenses they played against in the playoffs, Detroit specifically, all the things that Detroit did that gave the Niners issues, the Chiefs want to do those things and are better set up to do them with better personnel, it's actually in their DNA, some of the funky pressures that they're going to bring, etc. And I think that if you play a static type of defense against Patrick Mahomes right now, you're asking to lose. And that's what the Niners are. The Niners are, 
We play with the four-man front. We play a lot of zone coverage. We believe in the soundness of who we are. We think that ultimately you're going to make a mistake. And he is playing so well that banking on them to have a negative play, have a turnover, I think that's a bad bet. So I just think that so many things are lining up where even if these teams in a vacuum are close to even, even if the Niners, I think the line's still minus two, I get that. I think the matchup specifically against KC is a very bad one for the San Francisco team. I picked San Francisco at the start of the year. I picked against the Chiefs reluctantly in the first two playoff games they played, and I felt like a gigantic, or I guess the last two playoff games they played, and felt so, the words came out of my mouth, and I realized I was picking against Mahomes, and I was like, that's wrong. And so we'll make our official picks on Friday, and I feel like I'm supposed to pick the Niners because I picked in the start of the year. You're not helping me in that regard, but I also, it's probably, you're, you're confirmation biasing me because I feel myself leaning towards the Chiefs hard. So many people are, and it's so funny to wind up in this spot, and the moment that I come back to is, let's go back to Christmas Day. You watch the Chiefs play that game against the Raiders, and you have a feeling about where the Chiefs are and what this Chiefs season is. It's easy to write them off. It's like, this is over. Right. It's been fun. Like, they just don't have it this year. And before that game against the Ravens kicked off that night for the Niners, they felt like they might have been the best team in the league. Right. So just think about how different this matchup feels now compared to what it was five weeks ago. It's crazy. Uh, The Athletic Football Show, get it wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Their YouTube page, as Robert said, will have all kinds of film breakdowns, all kinds of great stuff. Robert Mays, everybody, getting us started from Super Week. Again, Dan Quinn coming up at 5.15 today. Much more from Radio Row next on the Team 980. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Live on Radio Row in Las Vegas, Super Bowl Sunday here on the Team 980, of course. And we just want to remind you real quick that coming up at 5.15, 5.15 today, new Commanders head coach Dan Quinn joins the show. He'll be giving us a call from Ashburn. Uh, so very excited to talk to DQ coming up at 5.15. But just before our show went live here in Las Vegas, uh, in this chair that's sitting right next to me empty right Right now, former NFL executive Michael Lombardi sat down to chat, and here is that conversation. Joining us now on set, Michael Lombardi, former NFL executive and author of the new book called Setting the Record Straight on the Coaches, Players, and History of the NFL. Uh, football done right is there the idea. Go. And uh, Michael, that is, uh, you're a good person to talk to right now because we in, in Washington, D.C. have a football team that is essentially starting over. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, if just first of all, like how well do you know Adam Peters and, and what do you make of that hire and, and the, the task that he has ahead of him? I, I, I don't know Adam at all. And- and I don't know, uh, you know, I know Dan Quinn. Uh, I, you know, I don't know kind of how the setup that they have to me is always challenging because the NFL has never been about the general manager picking the play, running the team and the coach coaching the team. That dynamic really is hard. Uh, usually you want to have a coach kind of running the organization from uh, how we're developing players and building. But look, Josh Harris, this is what he's done in basketball. I think this is what he's comfortable with. You know, he wants to build around Adam Peters. There's a basketball model. Obviously, they brought in, you know, the, the Bob Myers to help with this. So, you know, they're going to try their way and see where it goes. 
I, I think it's interesting when their press conference the other day, they talked so much about collaboration and your experience. <laughs> like, what is what is good collaboration look like? And then what do, uh, I would say, bad attempts at collaboration that turned into power struggles look like? Well, uh, well collaboration's a really good word, right? It sounds really good. So the idea is we're going to get a lot of smart people in a room and we're going to make smart decisions. The problem is not all the smart people in a room are equally informed. Like, there is an expertise to the decision. And for me, I've been from the model of a pyramid where decision flow, where information flows upward and somebody who has the highest level of intellect makes a decision. Now, maybe that might be Peter's. I don't know. But this idea that everybody's going to be collaborative in effort, you're in Washington, right? When you walk around the city of Washington, D.C., have you ever seen a monument dedicated to a committee? <laughs> I don't. I do not believe that you there are not. any There's committee. No I'm trying to think. There's got to be one somewhere. No, there's no monument dedicated to committees. Certainly not one of the so, big ones. So collaboration is about committees, and sometimes in the NFL you think you're being collaborative, when in reality people are just telling you what you want to hear. So let me just get straight to the point. Then, do you not like this setup? Because I feel like most people in DC are psyched, and also we're coming out of 25 years of hell uh, under the Snyder administration. But like, do you, do you not like the way that they're presenting this? Well, I, 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 I said I was going to give it an opportunity. I think if you study the NFL like I have, and you've worked for Bill Walsh, who didn't have this dynamic, if you work for Al Davis, who didn't have this dynamic, if you work for Bill Belichick, who didn't have this dynamic, if you understand the two teams winning in the soup, playing in the Super Bowl today here in Las Vegas. Vegas, they don't have this dynamic. You kind of have a sense that, okay, maybe this isn't the way to go. But Josh Harris has done this at the 76ers. I'm a 76er fan. I'm fully aware of how he operates his franchise. So uh, it, if he feels it's worked for him with the Sixers, you know, and then with whether it was Sam Hankey being collaborative on what he wanted to do, whether it was Brian Colangelo being collaborative, whether it's Daryl Morey, then good for him. Michael Lombardi with us here on Radio Row. Um, what do you think Peters takes from San Francisco then? Because obviously he worked, he's, he's been a part of one of the teams that is here. I would have to think that there is, even if there's a, an idea of collaboration, like well, he's, I, I maybe think, that definition is shifted well, to whatever he's They done, collaborated right? over the first, when they traded up for Trey Lance. I think Kyle wanted to draft Mac Jones and they wanted to draft Trey Lance, Lynch and Peters, and they collaborated and got the, the Lance pick done. So... Uh, I think, look, he hired Dan Quinn, who runs the 49er system of defense. So he's very familiar with that, and that'll lend himself. And then he hired a very good coach in Cliff Kingsbury that can handle some things. So I, I think, look, it's one of those where, you know, they're all going to have to come together, and everybody's going to have to get on the same page. But let's be clear, somebody's got to make the final decision. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Cliff. Uh, were you, did you cross with him in New England back in the day when he was a player? Well, I've known Cliff you... for almost my whole what, career, yeah. What, uh, I think Cliff, I, what think, you I think you have to separate two things. Like, Cliff is a head coach and Cliff is an offensive mind, right? Cliff's really good as a football coach. You know, maybe he isn't the best head coach in terms of defense, but he's really a good offensive coach, and he'll get the quarterback to play at a higher level. Plus, he understands what you have to do to win. I think one of the big things in Washington last year is you had a really bad offensive line, you had a very young quarterback, and you had an offensive coordinator who wanted to just call nothing but passes. And I said this from the beginning of the year, it was really one of the worst – 
attention to detail jobs that you'll ever see in the league because Eric didn't care about protecting the quarterback. He cared about calling pass plays. Yeah, a huge gripe on this show and, and many others. Uh, how adaptable do you feel like Cliff is to these top three quarterbacks? Obviously, May has run a, a version of an air raid well, system. I think it's going to be Lance's decision. I think Lance is going to make the call. I mean, excuse Peters, me, I think Peters is going to make the call. I mean, that's what he's there for. Well, that's kind of what I'm asking, though, is like if Adam is talking to Cliff and talking to Dan and they eventually come to a decision. You didn't hire Adam to basically make this decision on what Cliff thinks. If you're Josh I, Howard, I understand that. If, if you're I'm Josh saying Howard, he's got be able to do that. He's got three quarterbacks that are seen. You know Cliff very well. I'm asking, no matter who Adam thinks is best, how adaptable is Cliff to be able to ultimately oh, use Cliff's that player? I think really adaptable. I think Cliff's, Cliff's a football coach. And if you, whomever you give him will be a good player for Cliff. I mean, he's made Kyle Murray a better player than we've seen Kyler be. So, yeah, I, I think he's very adaptable. Um, what would you say are like the core principles for Cliff? I think Cliff wants to spread the field. I think Cliff wants to get rid of the ball quickly. He wants to protect the quarterback. I think he understands that he has to have some balance and run the ball. Uh, I think he is truly a guy that that makes the game easier for the quarterback with every single rep he takes. Uh, why did you – I always ask this when people write books, totally shifting gears now. Uh, why A book is such a monumental undertaking. Why did you want to write a book? Well, it's my second book. I wanted to write a book about the history of the league. I don't think we pay enough attention to it. This game here, we're in Las Vegas, and this game is really the Bill Walsh game because both offenses started with Bill Walsh from the 49ers. It's the, both of them are in the West Coast offense, and Walsh is one of the, f- the foundational coaching trees that I write about in Football Done Right. It's about how do we build a team, how do we run an offense that takes advantage of the skill players and the offensive weapons that we have. So this game is really symbolic of the greatness of a man. Uh, what in Kyle and Andy's offenses do you see as the core tenets that started from Bill? And then where have, through the many generations of evolutions that lead us to today, where have they veered off from that original? It's all a rhythm passing game, right? So it's all about timing and rhythm. Walsh believed the quarterback was like a boxer. It was rhythm with his feet to throw the football. That hasn't changed. I think it would, what, what they've done here is they've gone back to it, right? So they've gone back to this offensive mind mindset in in Kansas City where more rhythm. Mahomes was holding the ball really early in the year. Since the Cincinnati game after the Christmas Day game, they've gotten rid of the ball and they've done a really good job with it. Is there someone that you see as the defensive Bill Walsh? Well, yeah, I think there I, I think when you look at the guys that do a good job of adjusting their game plan every week to specifically attack their opponent, I think Mike McDonald did a great job of that. Guy only gave up 20 points in the playoff games even though his team didn't advance. So I think Spagnola does a good job with that. When you say Walsh, what you're saying is he's a divergent thinker. He solves problems in a different way. And I think there's a lot of good coaches like that. I think uh, that's one of Belichick's greatest strengths. Do you think that the nature of – actually, this, this is an interesting thing, I think, for someone like you, because um, this came up a lot during the coaching search, is this idea of hiring an offensive versus a defensive coach. In your experience and studying the history of the league like you have, do you think that those two coaches, those two coaching archetypes, think differently about football? They do. I think that the number one thing you have to hire is the best leader, because football is about leadership. 
And, and as much as we want to get into the strategy, the X's and O's of the game, which is the tactical part, you need somebody who understands the strategy of the game. I think that's really critical. How to set up a game. What Adam Peters wants to be able to do is bring an identity to Washington to be able to say these are the kind of players that play here no matter who the coach is. That's how you have sustainable success. Right. When you're constantly changing and you're dependent upon who's the coordinator, who's the defense, it becomes much harder. Uh, the book available now? Available now. Football Done Right, wherever you get books. There you go. That's Michael Lombardi, former NFL executive. Go check out the book, uh, and you can read a lot more about everything we just talked about. Michael, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right, that was Michael Lombardi with us here on Radio Row. Tape that about 30 minutes before our show started. Plenty more guests to come in this empty seat next to me here in Las Vegas. But most importantly today, if we're being honest, with all due respect to everyone who will sit in that chair, our number one guest will be on the phone. That is Dan Quinn coming up at 5.15. Again, Dan Quinn, uh, he was originally scheduled, and we know we promoted it on social media and everything. It's 4.45. Uh, but Dan Quinn, 5.15, he will be calling us in just a little bit. That all part of our big game coverage on the Team 980, presented by Solo Stove. Feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit, solostove.com. Plenty of that Lombardi interview to react to, though. We'll do that next on the Team 980. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And if you are tuning in right now expecting to hear our interview with Dan Quinn, I apologize, hold tight. The coach will be with us coming up in 30 minutes. 5.15, Dan Quinn joins us here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, so that's coming up in just a little bit. Right now, uh, live with you from Radio Row in Las Vegas, I want to react to our last guest, Michael Lombardi, uh, who had some pretty strong thoughts. That was interesting. I don't, I don't know Michael. We haven't had him on the show. This is the nature of Radio Row. He sits down. I ask, you're a front office guy. Let me ask you about the front office. And he immediately is like, don't like it. Uh, Coach-centric model is the way to go. And I'm sure that if you are a listener who is a Commanders fan, you have a fairly violent reaction to anything that is suggested coach-centric because that word has been poisoned. Uh, thanks to the last four years, and with good reason, because I'm just going to be blunt with you. I vehemently disagree with Lombardi, um, but also think that Lombardi, because he covers the entire league and is writing a book and doing all the other things, I don't think he really understands the, the setup here. I don't think he actually understands what Adam Peters is trying to do um, and, and how this works. So Lombardi, to, n to make sure I don't put words in his mouth, you know, he talks about how we have this, you want the coach to be the most important person and drive the organization. Um, and I think that that is true, um, but that doesn't mean it's coach-centric. It doesn't mean that he's got to have the most power. Because at the end of the day, I think what Josh Harris said at his introductory press conference is very true uh, and, and is ultimately true that the GM job is uh, an 80-hour-a-week job. The head coach job is an 80-hour-a-week job. And they are different jobs. They are jobs that require your full attention. And if you are someone who is coaching a football team all fall long, you simply cannot have the scouting eye uh, that a general manager can have. And you're also going to have your biases and things uh, compared to what you normally watch, compared to, which sometimes, by the way, is good. I think good organizations use the fact that, you know, hey, we have this group of scouts and coaches who only watches pro tape. 11 months out of the year and let's take one month to have them watch college tape and see who stands out to them um but I, I think that the larger point here is that 
they need to work together and with the coach setting how the team is going to play. It's not that a general manager is establishing play style, is establishing scheme, is establishing any of those things. It's that he is going to find players who fit in what the coach wants. And I'm going to swerve to come back. We're going to take a small detour and come back. It is very common in European soccer to have what they call a director of sporting, which is kind of a general manager. And that person will actually dictate how a team plays. And the reason for that is actually very smart. Because in especially the lower levels, if you're not Manchester United, if you're not Man City, if you're not Arsenal, if you're not Liverpool, if you're not Inter Milan, you know, the clubs that if you play uh, the video game formerly known as FIFA have five stars. Like, if you're good, your coach is getting poached. Your best players are getting poached. So having someone who is committed to the organization that is dictating continuity is really valuable. That's not how it works in the NFL. The NFL, you want the best coach available, and if that means you had a 3-4 and you're going to a 4-3 or you were a team that ran a ton under center and, and now you want to hire a coach that's spread, you can remake the roster fast enough that, it, that you don't be like, oh, we need continuity, even if it means a year of pain because some of the players don't fit. And so what I think is actually happening here, what I think is ultimately going to make this work, and the reason why I have confidence that it is going to work is because I think Adam Peters understands that. Like, he comes from San Francisco. We don't think, that, like, does he have any qualms that the most important person in the organization is Kyle Shanahan? Of course not. And what they've been able to do, and Peters was an enormous part of this, if not the biggest part. I all due respect to John Lynch. But, like, if you listen to the people in the scouting community, like, Peters is as respected as anybody because he took what Kyle wanted. He didn't, he didn't say, this is what I want. He, said, he took what Kyle wanted and said, or, and was able to say, like, this guy's what you want. If I, or in reverse, like, hey, here's this Debo Samuel guy I really like. I don't know if this is exactly how it went with Debo, but, like, th these are the two paths that they've traveled in San Francisco is, hey, Debo does X, Y, and Z. Does that fit for you? Like, do you have a plan for him? The best example of this recently is this, this video that went viral of Les Snead, the Rams GM, talking to Sean McVay about Puka Nakua, who we saw uh, walking around earlier in a very nice Letterman jacket and some Travis Scott Nikes. Uh, so that's good job, Puka. Uh, anyway, they, basically it was like, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do this, but he does this, this, and this extremely well. And Sean was like, I know exactly what to do with that guy. They take him and he sets the rookie receiving record. It wasn't that Les Snead was like, oh, we have to draft Puka Nakua. I'm the GM, GTFO, McVeigh. It was like, hey, I kind of like this guy. He's got some limitations. What do you think? Oh, McVeigh, I know what to do with him. Let's take him. That's how that works. So uh, the idea that it is GM versus coach or whatever centric is, is just not, like, it's not a reality. It, it, it does have to be a collaboration. It does have to be each guy doing his job to an extremely high level. The GM can't coach the team, but the coach can't be your best scout either. Um, they've got to be good at using information that the scouts give them. They've got to make sure that there's an understanding of how the talents cross. But at the end of the day, we're talking about the GM being able to GM and lead a scouting department and uh, set, help set a path and the resources, uh, making sure that the resources are available for player development and the coach coaching the football team. 
That's all it means. And I will also say this. Like, if you think the coach-centric model works where the coach has all the power, like, you're just not paying attention to the NFL, which is pretty crazy for someone who wrote a book who is trying to describe the history of the NFL. Belichick, the last decade has been bad for him and player development and a scouting standpoint. Brady saved his butt for the first half decade. They've been terrible for the last half decade because they haven't drafted a player that got into a second contract in New England since 2013. That's just the reality of the situation. Pete Carroll and John Schneider's relationship, yes, Pete technically had all the power, um, but he also deferred to to Schneider most of the time. And to the point that Schneider mentioned that in the postgame press conference uh, after uh, after the P. Carroll was let go. So I, I just think that the reality of the situation is that there isn't an example of a good coach-centric model. Well, there are plenty of good examples of, and this is where I wonder if this is just a matter of semantics, is you have plenty of examples where the coach sets a vision, the GM executes it, but they rely on the fact that the GM is the expert at his job and the coach is the expert at his job, and that is what wins in the NFL and, frankly, in any organization, in any business where people do their jobs well and actually respect the boundaries of said jobs. All right. uh, When we get back, uh, we might have a guest here on Radio Row. So we'll figure it out. Yes. Uh, Or actually, tell you what, let's do it. We can do that right now. Um, What's up, man? Uh, Yeah, we're going to go live on the air right now. uh, And I'm going to I'm going to throw Justin Pugh to the fire. You could because you will not recognize this because it has been a long time, Justin Pugh. But you and I have talked before because we went to Syracuse together. Uh-oh. Back in the day. Uh-oh. So I've interviewed you before. What do you want to know about me? What was your favorite bar at Syracuse? Uh, Chuck's, which is now gone. It's gone. The oh, basement yeah. of CVS? Oh, no, yeah. not, no, that's Harry's. Yeah, Harry's was the basement of CVS. That was the basement of CVS. Those were the good days. Yeah. What was your major? Uh, Obviously. Broadcast. Oh, yeah. I was giving you a layup just to kind of yeah. like ease yeah, yeah, us yeah, into yeah. it. Yeah, see how this is going. Where do you live now? Uh, D.C. So we're, we're the sister station to them, which is where you're eventually, I think, going to wind up. But Your favorite commander of all time. Ooh, my favorite. See, I didn't grow up in the area. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in South Carolina, so I was a, I was a Panthers guy growing up. Okay. Um, Musa Muhammad was one of my favorites all Unbelievable. time. Unbelievable. Tough, I, I, tough I was guy thinking you were going to go Steve Smith. You know, Smitty was a favorite. I might have had an 89 jersey. At one I point. was uh, an Eagles fan growing up, so when you guys beat us to go to the Super Bowl, that was devastation. Yeah, I remember. That was a good day for me, bad day for you. We okay, had some, if, last yeah, question, yeah, then yeah. you can start yours. If you okay. were stranded on an island, only one thing to eat on the island, what would it be? Oh, man. Some kind of protein, some sustenance. I can't be hungry. What are you watching? Like watch Survivor? You're trying to get rice and you're trying I, I just, to win the challenge. Maybe I'm hungry right now and I you're just want to get some a sustenance. grilled chicken breast. I mean, probably something a little heavier than that. Okay, if you're ever in Philadelphia, you got to okay. go to Angelo's, the cheesesteak and the pizza. It's the best on planet Earth. Okay, wife's from Philadelphia, definitely up there from there time to time. Uh, Justin Pugh is here with Lovesack, uh, who is a home furnishing and technology company brand, best known for its better than a bean bag sacks and adaptable called sec- sectionals. Sectionals. We just got a new sectional couch at our house. We didn't got it sectional. I should have talked to you first. It's the new Stealth Tech, and you know, it's it's I have one in my house, and they have the speakers, the subwoofers all built in. They got the cup holders, wireless charging. I can just had a two week, I have a two-week-old daughter oh, that was just born. She spits up on the couch. We take the cover off, throw it in the laundry, right Beautiful. back on. The in-laws are out here right now. It turns into a queen-size bed. 
Beautiful. What can it do? Nothing. Nothing, what apparently. What can it do? All right, so we're short on time, so I do want to get, after you've interviewed me and we've gotten the plug uh, in, you can go uh, to lovesack.com for more information. Yeah. Uh, they taught us that at Syracuse. Make sure you take care of the business, you know. Exactly. Uh, you play for Cliff, who obviously just got hired as the offensive coordinator in D.C. What, someone's like, hey, tell me about Cliff. What do you tell him? He gets guys open. He is one of the best guys creating space for his players. The thing about Cliff and going to Washington, it just reminds me of what happened in Arizona where he comes in, we have Josh Rosen, we really don't know if we're going to go quarterback, and then we take Kyler Murray. It's just eerily similar that he goes to Washington, they have the number two overall pick. Is there something in the works here where Caleb Williams ends up in Washington? The one thing I know is you will have, in your, you will have your talented receiver and receivers running wide open because that's what Cliff does. Yeah, which for a receiving core that uh, didn't rank great on the separation uh, data, the next-gen stats, all that kind of stuff last year, would be nice. Uh, would definitely like to see that. Uh, for you as an offensive lineman, run game, um, how did you like the run game that he implemented in Arizona? I love it. It fit my skill set. We're on the line. We're going fast. We're running zone schemes. It's going to be great for the offensive line that you guys have. Obviously, there's there's maybe maybe I'm down in Washington. Maybe Cliff gives his old left guard a call hey. and say, hey, you want to come venture to the capital? If you found yourself in the NFC East on an emergency this year, then maybe we can do it with some planning this, this time around. Exactly, exactly. No, Cliff's unbelievable. He's a great guy. And the one thing I love about Cliff is he doesn't get too high or too low. He is even keeled, and that's what it takes to win in the NFL. You need to be, you know, just, just – stable throughout all the ups and downs because seasons get crazy and he is the gold standard for that i didn't know i did i felt like that really came through in hard knocks who was with you guys that last season in arizona obviously didn't go well but you know to to see him just nose to the grindstone seemed like he was the same guy every week i i guess the big concern that i would ask you as a guy who was there the big concern with cliff and his record is start fast falls off what did you notice from defenses either changing or adapting to you guys that you think if cliff called you and was like hey pew like I'm getting this another shot. What do I need to do to make sure it's more sustainable? Like, what would you tell him? The one thing that I've noticed from teams that had sustained success is the run game always meshes with the pass game. It all yes. starts with the run game. And, and obviously Cliff is, is known for the, like, the air raid and, air, and throwing the ball all the way around. Make sure we're focusing on the run game, too, because that opens up the pass game. And he always did that. Obviously, there's players that are involved in this, too, like us not doing our job. And, and sure. you know, we've had some good seasons, and there's a reason that he's so highly sought after in the offensive community because of what he can do. So he clearly learned from what he did in Arizona. I'm excited for what he's going to do in Washington. I think you guys have the right pieces in place, and I can't wait to see it. Is there any piece in particular? I mean, I, th I think we all think of Terry, obviously, on the outside as a like big explosive down the play or down the field wide receiver, um, but as an O-line guy or whatever it is, is like there a piece when you, when you make that comment that's in mind? I mean, you got to run the ball. And I think Brian Robinson, the guy that you guys have, that's like a thud, you know, taking, breaking tackles, make sure you're feeding him. It's similar to a guy we had in Arizona, James Conner, who's yeah. like that thumper running back. Set the tone. You guys just dropped back and passed the ball every time this past year, and, like, teams are teeing off. Give your offensive line a little bit of a break. Put them in a friendlier situation. Allow them to build their confidence. And then you can go air it all around with Caleb Williams if that ends up going that direction. Yeah. Uh, that's Justin Pugh. Just stopping by. Some cute Straight guys. Straight off the couch, hanging out. Yep. Appreciate you guys. Uh, what's, uh, what's next for you, man? How, like, are you still going to try to play this year? Yeah, and still then going to try to play, uh, you know, just and, train And then out. you're going to come take all our jobs? You're good at this. Yeah, well, I just signed with Mark Lepselter. I'm going to start doing the broadcasting route, try that out a little bit. Nice. Started my own podcast network with Justin Pugh, so I, I've kind of been doing the behind the scenes in the podcasting world. So we'll nice. see how it goes. I also like real estate, so real estate is, is a I passion. can tell you this as a radio I, guy. I, I know. A lot, lot more lucrative in real estate than it is <laughs> in the, break, the, the 
broadcast. Hey, unless you make it, like you're, you know, you get one of these big stages. I think that they, they, those guys do all right. So I know I'm going to try to sneak on Pat McAfee's uh, stage while go. he's Just gone from lunch and try to yell some things. There you go. And uh, you, you got, we got, you know, you saw the uh, the Newhouse kids. They got Syracuse University students here. I know. I went. Well, I actually did Ithaca. The Syracuse kids came up and said what's up, and it was a little bit too late. I got to run and catch a bird, though. I got to yeah. go. All right, man. Well, safe travels. Great and, uh, seeing you again. You as well. It's been a decade. It's Justin Justin Pugh, everybody, with us on the Hoffman Show. You can go. You got to catch right, a plane. Uh, when we get back, uh, we'll react to what Justin just said. And then Dan Quinn is joining us at 515.